Welcome back. Today I'm going to cover a lot of info about medical Spanish immersion trips. I have a guest who has 20 years of experience doing these trips, so he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> um, and we're going to cover kind of what it's like, the benefits and the challenges, the, the logistics, and other common questions that come up a lot about medical Spanish immersion trips. But since this is slightly longer than my usual episodes, I've put a table of contents and some timestamps down below, which you can check on the episode description. So and just in case you want to jump to a specific topic. All right. So with that, enjoy the episode. Welcome to Learn Medical Spanish. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about immersion. So the main way that I learned Spanish was actually through immersion. So I, I lived in Guatemala for a couple of years, and after I'd taken a bunch of Spanish classes and kind of reviewed the grammar and stuff, I went to the country and I started talking to a bunch of people, spending a ton of time every day, like practicing Spanish. And after about two months, I was basically fluent, give or take a little bit. I mean, it was a gradual process from there, but it took about two months to become fluent in Spanish um, with true full immersion. Uh, so, of course, some of you out there listening to this podcast, you know, various medical professionals, maybe a little more with emergency medicine because I've done a lot of episodes on that. But whoever you are, you might be interested in also trying some kind of immersion to speed up your learning process with Spanish. So today I'm going to talk about one group of people who does some medical Spanish immersion trips. And we'll talk a little bit about what that's like and who it might be a good fit for and so forth. So uh, on the program today, I've got Rory Foster from Common Ground International. Welcome to the program, Rory. Thanks, Ben. And hello, everyone. Nice to be here. Uh, thanks for inviting me to, to chat today. Yeah, my pleasure. So so you've been doing immersion trips for for like how many years or how long? Well, we're this 2023 is our 20th year. In 2003 was our first immersion program with healthcare workers. Oh, 20 years. Okay. Yeah. So how did you, just in brief, like how did you kind of get started with that? How did you get involved? Yeah. So we had been teaching medical Spanish courses within the University of Colorado system um, for a couple of years by that point. And uh, we decided, you know what? As language learners, we had always done study abroad type experiences, and we thought it would be great to add a short-term medical Spanish immersion trip to really help people solidify their listening comprehension and fluidity of speech. So we yeah. put it on. Yeah, makes sense. So um, so you guys go to, I guess, Ecuador and Costa Rica and a couple times a year, and we'll get into those logistical details and some of the other common questions here in a couple minutes. But um, in general, what's what do students usually have to say, or the travelers, I guess they're not all students, but they're like Spanish students, I guess. <laughs> so what uh -huh. do people typically say about these trips? Um, you know, do they find it beneficial um, or what are kind of the typical outcomes? Yeah. Well, the um, regardless of where people are at with their stage of life, whether they are, like you say, actually studying healthcare or within their graduate studies or whatever, or they're working professionals, uh, everybody uh, really does have a similar experience while they're traveling. And it's the language outcomes that they reflect most on and say, man, they're just noticing massive improvements in their listening comprehension skills because I mean, let's face it, when you're in a class and you've got other students in class and you're speaking, uh, you know, you can kind of track along. But then when you're dumped into a speaking with a native speaker situation, that's when you can start to feel lost. And that's what's great about an immersion program is you get a really, 
you you get concentrated time being surrounded by native speakers and it really does massive things for your listening comprehension. Apart from that, uh, on the same level, your improvements in fluidity of speech is what people uh, reflect that they're thinking less about what they want to say and just Mm -hmm. actually focused more on what they're actually communicating and connecting with, with folks. So, you know, and then others, some, everybody has those specific topics maybe where they feel like they might've plateaued on, uh, could be, you know, maybe past tense verb conjugations or something like that. And like, finally, I finally got it. I feel comfortable mixing, you know, managing preterite imperfect past tenses. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's that experience of being abroad and being completely surrounded 24-7 with the language that really helps people move the needle on their language. Yeah, it makes sense and definitely mirrors my experience, just like faster breakthroughs. And mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, with the listening comprehension, you know, I remember the first day I got to Guatemala and I practically couldn't understand anything anybody said, even though I knew Spanish. I knew I knew yeah. a lot of words. I knew the grammar. <laughs> yep. But then my yep. ears started to catch up, you know, after a little bit. So it's funny like, you really, mentioned, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because, uh, you know, and it's going to be like, it's always like that for people when you are speaking with someone of maybe a different origin. So you maybe someone from Puerto Rico or mm-hmm. someone from Guatemala or someone from Mexico or someone from Argentina. I remember when my, uh, my wife and I had a chance to live and study in Spain, we had already, um, we had already been, you know, graduated with our degrees in Spanish and everything. And we got there. It took us like two weeks to really get accustomed to the, the, the accent and the tone and the pace. And so it really does take time for your ear to adjust. Yeah, for sure. Um, so regarding the experiences of students, um, have you found, are there people with any frequency or people that feel like, you know, this was a waste of time or this was a waste of money. I, I, I wish I hadn't gone on this trip or just in general, are there p- things that people kind of don't like about the trips? Yeah, good question. You know, language immersion is difficult. Uh, so, you know, everybody has their days and, you know, you go through the process of acculturation, you know, and that's the idea of culture shock, right? And so people do have down days while they're traveling uh, just because there are hard things about uh, being abroad and not being having your regular support systems and outlets and things that you uh, typically do as you deal with the stresses of life. Uh, and, you know, when you do an immersion program, it does feel a little bit like, man, I just put myself, this is not a vacation. I just put myself in a bit of a pressure cooker uh, because Mm -hmm. because there are hard moments. But, uh, you know, add that to the natural process of cultural adjustment and things like that. So people do have bad days, but the, the point with, you know, getting used to language at this pace and speed and getting used to uh, a different way of doing things and that whole cultural adjustment is to recognize all that stuff as normal, that uh, those challenges are shared by everybody in the group and to not let them impede your progress, your goals for traveling, which is really to improve your Spanish. And so those, yeah, people have bad days. You know, looking back, it's impossible to not improve unless you really try hard to not speak Spanish or to isolate yourself or to not participate in the program. Um, but you know what, what people really do love about the trip is just the day-to-day support um, with the common ground leadership team, particularly for people who've not traveled a lot or are traveling on their own and feel like a little apprehensive about, 
the um, about doing it by themselves. Really mm-hmm. appreciate the the support that the, that Common Ground gives. Um, you know, in the early days, you know, two thousand three, four, five, when we didn't do a very good job of preparing people for the trip and having those expectations lined out properly. Yeah, some people had some bad experiences, but a lot of that was expectations and making sure people understood what it was going to be is like, for example, thinking I'm going on a vacation and then getting there. Wow, this is really hard. I'm not on a vacation. I'm not sure I realized what I signed up for. <laughs> um, but no, in the mo- for the most part, um, we do a really good job of helping people prepare for their trip, have realistic expectations for one, the kind of language growth they can expect to what the day-to-day situation is going to be like so that they know, um, you know, that all the pieces are working together to really help them meet their end goal of more confidence, comfort speaking Spanish. And at the end of the day, an improved ability to just connect personably with their Spanish only patients. Yeah. So it sounds like, as one would expect, if you really think about it, it sounds like it'd be quite challenging, like a pressure cooker, as you put it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason you're doing it, of course, is to kind of give yourself a kick in the pants to kind of, you know, learn the language more quickly. Um, So it's not going to be a walk in the park, but uh, but ultimately, you know, really satisfying and and really, um, you know, can make a lot of progress in a short amount of time, which is pretty cool. I mean, it's a little bit like a medical training, like if I, I didn't, I haven't done a residency, but for those who have done a residency, or if you just think about a rotation for one month, you go to yeah. some clinic you're not familiar with and you know, everything's difficult, but then it kind of gradually starts coming together. Cause you're like, you have a lot of demands, a lot of pressure to kind of learn things quickly. Um, right. so, so let's get into some of the actual logistics for people who want to know about that. So as I understand it, and I don't know all the details, but just, uh, from kind of glancing at things and talking to you a little bit, I know you have maybe a couple times a year when you go, um, in the summer and in the winter. And then, so those summer trips are coming up kind of soon because here we are in April of 2023 as we talk. And so, um, so you go to a couple countries, so it's Costa Rica and Ecuador. Um, and, and so can you give us just a, just a real brief synopsis of like the yearly schedule? And then we'll go from there with some of the other questions. Yeah, absolutely. So the summer trips, as you mentioned, uh, we've got two countries that we visit, Ecuador and Costa Rica. We start out in Ecuador, and that's usually mid-June through the end of June. So there's usually just a couple of weeks of program in Ecuador, and then we move to Costa Rica uh, directly from uh, Ecuador, and then we'll have the whole month of July typically in Costa Rica. And so people can travel, you know, anywhere from you know one to six, seven weeks ish in um, over the summer months. And then every winter we run run programs as well, but that's just Costa Rica. We don't do both countries in the winter. So in Costa Rica it's typically the last weekend of January and the bulk of the month of February. And so um, we'll have some students on rotation that will uh, finish, you know, early March or something like that. But typically in either program, people are registering for program lengths of an air from one to six weeks. Um, And so in the winter, the month of February, essentially second half of June, in Ecuador, and then the month of July in Costa Rica again. Okay. So to highlight one of the things you said there, um, it's flexible in that people can go for one week or two weeks or three weeks or four weeks or up to, is six weeks the maximum? 
Some people will stay on after six weeks. The program looks a little bit different because very few people do. So it's a lot more individualized after that. There's less volunteer work built in when it's just you. Um, The volunteer work is more group volunteer, public health type, community health education. Um, We don't do clinical work abroad. And so, um, so some of that is, is, not very practical to do as an individual. Uh, so yes, people stay longer sometimes. And yes, it looks a little bit different than the regular programming. Okay. So typically between one and six weeks. And by the way, is it flexible about which week they do if they only do one week? Does it have to be the first week or can it be at the end or in the middle? Typically we'll offer one or two start dates. And so those are usually the first two weeks and then by after we get going with the program, it's uh, it makes it kind of hard to integrate if you come the last week, that kind of okay. thing. So the first couple of weeks is generally when we'll have open start dates. Yeah. So usually, yeah, near the beginning, but a little bit flexible. Um, yeah. So you got some trips coming up. Um, as you mentioned, like one of them starts in June. Mm-hmm. Um, so how soon is that? Are we talking like the middle of June? Yeah. So June 17th is a Saturday. And for our programs, usually Saturday is always a travel day. And we just suggest you get in on Saturday, get settled with your host family. Sunday, we'll do some orientation stuff. And then Monday, the actual program begins. So June 17th is a start day for Ecuador. Uh, and then our second start date for Ecuador would be June 24th, the following Saturday. Um, and then July 1st and July 8th are start dates for Costa Rica. Okay. So in essence, you have like maybe four different options of when to start if you're doing the summertime. So that's, that's it's right. quite a bit of, a lot of flexibility there. So that's kind of nice. Um, so how soon would someone have to actually sign up though? Do they, is, can they do it sort of last minute or does it have to be a month in advance or? You, um, you need at least a month to kind of get prepared. So we'll have a, we have a pre-departure course that we put people through to go through all the paperwork logistics stuff. And then also to begin working on some of the volunteer projects that we'll be doing together to uh, make sure that you've just got all your I's dotted and T's crossed. And so we have, um, we have some sort of soft registration close dates. One's coming up here at the end of April. Um, but, uh, you know, we would just chat. If, it, if you're hearing this in May or, or early June and you want to join us, then it's a phone call and we'll just make sure that uh, you're set to go and we'd be glad to have you join us as long as there's space. Right. Yeah. And obviously, you know, got to get the, the the airfare and everything figured out. And sometimes that requires sure. a little bit of advance notice. Um, yeah. So uh, I, th- I think you already alluded to this, but just for any students out there, I guess you have the option to do, um, they have the option to do uh, it as an elective rotation, like a medical student or a PA student, for example, if their school allows that. Um, so, so they can kind of look at that option if they're interested. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's typically the February date. Uh, we tend to oh, more so in dates. February. Okay. Yeah, overlap perfectly with the fourth year uh, medical rotation blocks. And so, um, as long as your program has some space for electives in it and some flexibility uh, to consider something sort of uh, outside of what they're already doing, then we're happy to help you with the paperwork to get that going and make it an official rotation for you. Cool. All right. Um, So I I know another thing people are going to want to know is, you know, they can kind of, kind of imagine what it would be like, but it's hard to, hard to really know until you're there. So basically what's kind of the, just the basic breakdown of like 
what do you do when you're on one of these immersion trips? How do you spend your time? How is it kind of divided up? Yeah, great question. So uh, Monday through Friday, half of your day is Spanish classes. And so, and those are medical Spanish classes with a little general Spanish mixed in as well. But half of your day's Spanish classes could be the morning block, could be the afternoon block, just kind of depends on what the whole, the rest of the schedule looks like. Um, but so if you have four hours a day of medical Spanish classes in, let's call it, let's just say it's in the afternoon. Well, then those mornings you'll be doing some volunteer work, some uh, orientation to the different communities that we'll be doing volunteer work in, or maybe we have some fun little half day excursions planned uh, to get out and see the sites and experience, uh, experience local, I don't know, chocolate tasting or a coffee tour or something <laughs> like that. Um, and, uh, but every day, the, the one constant throughout the week is your Spanish classes. So it's four hours, 20 hours a week total. Uh, and so you'll get up in the morning, we'll have our meetup time, meetup spot, and you'll have breakfast with your host family. We'll meet up maybe eight, eight-ish in the morning or so. And then um, whatever our activity is, We'll, we'll be doing that and then you will have lunch together or, you know, as the program progresses and people have their own preferences for where they want to eat, you know, people go out and about and have lunch wherever. And then we'll have our classes. Then And then in the evenings, you go home to your host family and you hang out with them and, you know, make dinner with them, do some homework, chat, hang out, uh, maybe go out and for an evening activity with your host family um, and then repeat the next day. So get up, have breakfast with them and then, and then meet up with the group and um, be on for, for the essentially the bulk of the day doing program activities. Yeah. So during the day, it's about half Spanish classes. So you spend some hours uh, each weekday doing Spanish classes, and then you have these other activities where you're going out and actually doing the kind of immersion part of things. Um, and you mentioned the host family. Um, so, I, so I understand that's one of the options is you can kind of stay with the host family. And I think that would be highly recommended probably if you're trying to maximize your immersion, because that's a good opportunity to just have people to talk to, natives to talk to um, during you know the evening and maybe the morning and other times. Um, so you mentioned kind of going out and doing these activities, taking these classes, all that. Now, I know your group does Spanish immersion trips, but you also have medical Spanish immersion trips. So kind of what's the main difference in the way that you actually handle that or, or the way people spend their time if they're on the medical Spanish immersion trip? Sure. Yeah. So the medical trip has the class time is focused on clinical Spanish, building your, your clinical language conversation ability. And so uh, there's a handful of topics that, uh, you know, all the way from greeting your patient to anatomy terms and symptoms and discharge instructions, treatment plan, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you really do follow a specific medical Spanish curriculum in your classes. So it's very focused on building your clinical conversation skills. And the volunteer work that we do will be public health type educational uh, workshops that we put on with local communities of at-risk, uh, sometimes adults, older adults, uh, young teens, teen moms, that kind of thing. And so it's very health focused, whereas some of the folks that are traveling at the same time, but in more of a general language immersion program, they're doing general Spanish classes and their volunteer work is less health focused and more other just life skill type things focused. And so, um, which brings up a good point. 
if you've got a spouse or a significant other who's not in the health professions but would like to travel uh, alongside you, there is a space for them. Yeah, yeah. So they could do the non-medical version. Okay, so it sounds like you'd be learning a lot of medical terminology and then you'd have a chance to practice a lot of it, even though it's not technically a clinical setting. You're not working in a hospital or something. That's but, right. That's uh, but right. you'd have a chance to practice a lot of that medical terminology given some of the um, outreach stuff that you're doing and things like that. Yep. Um, so let's do a couple just final rapid fire questions because we want to keep this, you know, not too too much longer than 20 minutes. But sure. um, so, I, so I know you go to Ecuador and Costa Rica. ¿Cuál de los dos países te gusta más? Mm, pregunta difícil. Los dos países son diferentes y cada país tiene sus pros y sus contras, ¿verdad? Um, Costa Rica tiene um, mucha biodiversidad en un espacio muy pequeño. Entonces, puedes ver muchas cosas diferentes. You can see all different kinds of things in a really short distance. Ecuador es un poco más grande um, and un poco menos tropical, um, pero a mí me gustan las montañas de Ecuador también. So Costa Rica, tropics, beach, Ecuador, uh, high, high Andes, high mountain Andes. Uh, they're, they're both great, but they have, you know, different pros and cons. Good, yeah. great question, though. Yeah, yeah. And that was that was our little taste of immersion for the day. Um, <laughs> see if people could understand everything that was said in Spanish just there. But if if not, if you don't know enough, then he was just talking about the pros and cons of Costa Rica and Ecuador. Um, and he likes them both for different reasons. So um, so a couple final points. So people can get, uh, I guess, 20 CME credits, category one CME credits, if there's someone who needs that, like a doctor or a PA or nurse practitioner or whatnot. Um, and I guess you get those if you go for at least one week, you'll get those credits. You'll That's be able right. to get those credits. Um, and then my last question for you is, you know, what, what about the different skill levels? Um, so some people know some Spanish, they want to get better. Some people don't know hardly any. And can you start as a beginner? Great question. Yes, absolutely. Um, at one point we thought, gee, it's really kind of hard if you're a beginner. Should we put a language requirement on it? And then we reflected and we thought, no, it doesn't make sense. No matter where you start out, you will always learn the most and the fastest on a good immersion program. So that looks a little different from a beginner to an intermediate to an advanced. And you know, we talk about what's called the foundation principle. The stronger your foundation before you travel, kind of the faster you learn while you are traveling and the faster you improve while you're traveling. But still, as a beginner, uh, you, you improve your Spanish at the fastest possible rate. And so what we do is we'll have everybody take a placement test before you travel. And that helps us know uh, what level of class you need to be in. And so not everyone's in the same afternoon Spanish class or morning Spanish class. There's typically at least three or four, sometimes five to six different levels of class that we're running in any one given week, uh, just based on people's individual abilities, uh, grouped into small groups, you know, three, four people, students per class. And so that's how it works for beginners, intermediates, advanced. There's, there's a spot for you regardless of where you're at. 
Cool. So it's kind of tailored to whatever skill level you have when you start. But That's obviously, right. yeah. the more Spanish you know, the more progress you'll be able to, or that you know, the further along you'll probably be when you finish because you already are a little further along to start with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, it feels all right. a little different too. It feels a little different. As a beginner, The ba- even the most basic things are frustrating, you know, like connecting with your host family, stuff like that. It's not impossible, but you face some obstacles that someone who is an intermediate or an advanced doesn't face. And so you have a slightly different feel to your experience, but that's a part of the expectation thing, you know, making sure that you understand, okay, this is where I'm at. This is the best way to move me to where I want to be, but I might feel a little different than my friend who's at an intermediate level, you know, kind of thing. So it's all about expectations, knowing what to expect and uh, just getting down to work and, and meeting your goals. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. All right. So we've given, you've given us a lot of information about these medical Spanish immersion trips and uh, you know, a lot of the questions that people would have, we've probably answered here, but, but if they want to go and actually take a look at the details, you've got your website. I'll put a link to the um, kind of the details about the immersion trips in the episode description on the podcast app and, and uh, anywhere else. If you're listening, if you're watching this on YouTube, we'll put it in the video description. And then also there's a shortcut I'll make for you. If anybody just wants to type this in, you can go to learnmedicalspanish.org dot org slash trips. So again, that's learnmedicalspanish.org slash trips, and that'll send you to um, to the information about these trips as well. So Rory, I really appreciate you being here. Uh, thanks a lot for all the information. And we, we may bring you back here uh, with some other types of content and stuff, but um, people can stay tuned for that. But for today, thanks a lot for being here and for all the good info you shared. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Ben. Uh, wonderful to chat with you and to meet your audience. Have a great day.